So he began to talk to me about relationship with him. And I promptly told him that we had talked about that a lot later, lately, and that others had done it better than I could anyways. Uh, so I didn't need to talk about that today because I needed something earth-shattering. And the Lord responded to me, do you mean to tell me that the ability to have a relationship with the creator of the world, the God who planned your path from the beginning of time till now, and then gave his life in a brutal death for your redemption, is not earth-shattering? I was quickly put in my place. (laughs) So today I want to talk to you about covenant relationship with God. Recently, I have been learning about covenant. It's one of our study topics at school right now. I'm a student at Urshan College, and we've been talking about what it means, and not only what it means now, but what it meant in ancient times. And I've quickly learned that in our society, it is incredibly difficult to grasp the depth of the meaning of covenant the way that it was in in the Bible times. We tend to view a covenant as a sort of a contract. Uh, Maybe it's like an important contract, um, but that is about where the differences between a covenant and a contract would end in today's society. So in the Bible, though, a covenant is a chosen relationship or partnership in which two parties make binding promises to each other and work to reach a common goal. They're often accompanied by oaths, signs, and ceremonies. Covenants contain defined obligations and commitments, but differ from a contract in that they are relational and personal. For example, a marriage. A husband and a wife choose to enter into a formal relationship, a legal binding relationship, and that is a covenant. But in our America, even this definition of covenant doesn't really convey how deeply binding a biblical covenant was, because we live in a world where even a marriage covenant is not that sacred. It is violated all around us all the time. But in the Bible, it was like this life or death next level promise between two people. They would... Now, I find this a little gory, so forgive me. They would slice an animal in half, and then the two people entering the covenant would walk between the two sides of the carcass in a symbolic gesture saying, if I break this covenant, let what happened to this animal be done to me. That's pretty deep. In the Bible, God made covenants between himself and man. And we know that God does not lie, nor does he break a promise. So if a covenant was that deep between two humans, we can know how much deeper it was between God and man. There are several covenants detailed throughout the Old Testament. I'm just going to touch on a few because nobody really wants to be here until tomorrow. Um, In Genesis, God made an agreement with Adam. Genesis 2.16 says, And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Now we know that in the story of Adam and Eve, he would break this agreement with God. And he would eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Sin would then be present in the world, and man would now need a redeemer. 
God, of course, knew that also from the very beginning. And thankfully, he had already worked out a plan for our redemption. The next notable covenant is found in the book of Genesis, when Noah was commanded to build an ark to save his family. The earth was flooded, and every creature that was not on the ark perished. After the earth dried up and Noah and his family were safely back on dry ground, God promised Noah that he would never flood the earth and kill all living creation ever again and gave him a rainbow as a symbol. Later, God commands a man named Abram to take his wife and leave his homeland and promises that in return, he will make a great nation of him. Then at Mount Sinai, God makes a covenant with Moses and the Israelite people. Exodus 19.5 Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Then God gave the people the Ten Commandments and promised to make them his special people. There are a lot more covenants, but I told you about those ones for a reason. But first, I want to get to the covenant that matters the most to you and me, and that is the covenant between God and us that we are experiencing today, right now. Jeremiah 31, 31 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. I'm, I'm going to skip down to 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Then in Luke, notice he said he was going to make a new covenant. Luke 22:19, Jesus said, is we're at the, uh, at the Last Supper, and Jesus is getting ready to do what we symbolically do now with communion. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. I'm guessing it seems like at this point that I've jumped all over the Bible and I'm here and there and everywhere and there surely is no rhyme or reason to anything that I have said. But now I'm going to do my best to show you what my thought process is. First, Adam's sin created the need for a redeemer. Next, God makes a covenant with Noah where he affirms the sanctity of all human life. Then Abraham is called apart, revealing that God has a specific plan for a specific group of people. After that, Moses and the Israelites are shown that God wants a special relationship with a special people. But there are also terms to that relationship. Then Jesus tells the disciples that his death is the beginning of the new covenant. So what is the new covenant? The new covenant is a relationship between God and man brought about by the blood of Jesus. When Jeremiah prophesied about the new covenant, the people didn't understand what he meant. It didn't make sense in the world that they lived in. They were used to a world where there were laws and regulations. The priests told them how to live and what they were expected to do, and they were expected to toe the line. 
and that was it. What they didn't know was that what the prophet meant was that God was making a way for humanity to have a relationship with him that would be in their hearts instead of just in their actions and that would be open to everyone instead of just a few. Justin preached a fantastic message last week. He called it the path to a restored relationship, and in it he, ex he shared what we must do to experience salvation and begin to have a relationship with God. He showed us that first we must believe in God, we must confess our sin, repent, be baptized in Jesus' name, and then receive the Holy Spirit. I thought it was a really, really great message. If you didn't hear it, you should go back and watch it or listen to it, either one, because it's a good message. But what he preached leads to the, this covenant relationship with God that I am talking about. In the covenants that I mentioned, there's something that the person had to do for the covenant to begin. Noah had to start building the ark. He had to build the ark. Abraham had to leave his homeland. Those were really hard things to do. Moses had to give the law, and the people were supposed to follow it. God gave them something to do to begin the covenant with him. And that's what we're doing. We're starting our covenant relationship with Jesus when we do those things that Justin talked about last week. But this is only the beginning. <laughs> After you have experienced salvation, then you get to live in relationship with Jesus. You get to live with him in that relationship for the rest of your life. I wish I could describe to you in words how wonderful that is. That the creator of all mankind wants anything to do with me. And yet he does. He knew me from the very beginning. He knew every mistake I would make. And he still wanted to have a relationship with me. There's resistance to that in us. because, Not because people don't want to experience that relationship, but because you can't quite believe that Jesus wants that relationship with you. We are too tied to how we view other people sometimes. Pastor Kurt says, um, he says that we view ourselves from, through our own good intentions, but we see people through their actions. And we're like that. And because I'm like that, then I think that for some reason God has to be like that too. And I can't quite wrap my mind around the idea that he sees the best in me. I just can't. 1 John 3, 1 through 3 says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Beloved, now we are children of God. You are so incredibly loved. Amen. That's right. In the purest yeah. way that, another, that a person can be loved. Amen. 
You might say that your life is a mess or that you're too much of a bother. You keep bothering God over and over. Every single day you have something new and you just keep bothering him and surely he's going to get tired of you. Or maybe you say that you cause him problems. You give him extra work. If you would quit messing up, then he could maybe get something done somewhere else. But you're over here making him have all this work to do. So I would like to show you something. You see that mess? It's not my fault. I didn't give her the chocolate. Her sisters did that. Um, that same person that's all covered in chocolate and made that mess also woke me up more than once last night. Uh, and she interrupted my study time all week long this week. She's back there talking to me. She's got things to say. She doesn't like me telling her stories. And she leaves surprises in uh, her little diaper for me to deal with on a regular basis. But I double-dog dare you to challenge my net love for that sweet little baby girl. Right. There is no mess that she can make. I'll probably have to throw that sleeper away because we still haven't gotten the chocolate out of it. She is amazing, and I adore her. And when I look at that picture, I see the bright, twinkling eyes, and I see the little smile. I don't see the chocolate. Well, I do see the chocolate all over her face, but I find that adorable. It's not a mess. It's not a problem. It's adorable to me. Because right. nothing she can do will ever change my level of adoration for her. Now, just for the record, I'm not saying that anything that I just talked about, any of her messes, any of the stuff she does, I'm not saying any of it's sin, because I know that it is not. She is not sinning. I only tell you to, that to tell you this. The Bible says that you are a child of God. I know that in our society, that has almost become cliche. I am a child of God. But it's so true. And if, if you could just hear that from a, a, a mother's heart or a father's heart, and you could just hear what that means, then you would know how deeply you are loved. You are adored. And there is nothing you can do that will make him love you less. I am not a very long-winded preacher, so just... Just so you know, I'm almost done, actually. Isaiah 12, 2 and 3 says, Behold, God is my salvation, and I will trust, and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. You can trust him. I have failed God. More often than I'd like to say. Every single day, probably, I fail him. And yet, he never has failed me. The other night, I had gone on a drive to get some downtime, and 
And frankly, I was, I was thinking about this message, had the, the loud Christian music, the music that we sing here in our church um, playing, and I was still arguing with God about preaching today. If you want to know a confession, about 5.30 this morning, I was so terrified to be here today that I seriously thought about running away to Mexico. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's cold outside and I didn't want to have to get gas. So here I am. I was driving around listening to music. It seems to be the way that I can shut myself down sometimes. And I drove up next to an SUV with this license plate on it. You can go ahead and pull that up there. I don't know if you can see it in that picture because it's blurry and, you know, I waited till I stopped to take the picture because I don't take pictures while I drive. Um, and it says he loves. And here I am in this massive tug of war with God about what I'm going to do and that I don't want to preach about the fact that he loves us because it seems, I don't know, it just didn't seem right to me. And I pull up next to that. And what he said to me in that moment was, Jasmine, you're fighting me because you can't quite believe that I love you. And how can you tell somebody else how much he loves them when you're still battling it? I wasn't gonna tell you that part because I didn't want you to know. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what is going on, no matter what your situation is, any problem you have is answered simply by that. He loves. He loves you. The last several years, I have experienced things that have literally thrown me to my knees. And I'm not just talking about the few, I'm talking about the last 15 or 20. These things have made it difficult to trust others with my heart. But in my darkest hour, what I learned was that he has never left me. And I also learned what a gentle, kind, Savior, we serve. Isaiah 42, 1 through 3. I'm going to read just parts of it. I'm going to skip some. Behold my servant. Talking about Jesus. Look at my servant. Look at Jesus. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. And a faintly burning wick he will not quench. When I have messed up big time and thought that I had surely ruined any chance that I had at having a relationship with him, I found out that he was right there waiting for me to come back. When my heart was bruised, he was gentle with me. When I needed his, to hear his voice, but I was too fragile to hear a boom, he whispered, 
when I needed to be held. He did so in a thousand different ways, through a kind word from a stranger or just a moment of knowing that it would all be okay. He will do that for you. He shows you the same love and compassion that he has shown to me. And I promise you, you can trust him. Would, um, if you would all do me a favor, would everybody stand up? I should have had you do that a little bit ago so you could stretch out the kinks. If you would all, if you're able, would you join me up here in the altar if you can? There's room for everyone. It's a big altar. There's plenty of room. It's not like that place where we came from. If you don't know what I'm talking about, be thankful.